we are so excited to have St Tiffany and Stephen Grosh with us today. As Pastor Mike said earlier, Tiffany was with us yesterday, did a great job with our ladies uh, sharing what God is doing. The last time Stephen was here was 10 years ago. He was single. Now he is married with two children and one on the way. You go, boy. That's all I got to say. Let's give him a hand for just that. That's just an accomplishment all on its own. And uh, did, a, did a great job with us uh, 10 years ago, and uh, we're so glad that they're uh, back with us sharing. It's great when, when you hear a missionary that actually has gone to the field and has spent time in the field to come back and then share what God is doing because uh, Stephen was just first time, a first-timer as he went 10 years ago, and now he's got all that experience and, and what God is, is, is doing in Central Asia. And so we're so excited to hear uh, what the Lord is doing and, uh, and how we can pray for him and how we can uh, support them uh, as a church. And so we're just so glad to be uh, partnering with the Grashes in what they're doing in Central Asia. So let's give them a warm welcome. Let's give Steve a warm welcome. He comes to share with us this morning. Amen. Good morning. Thank you, Pastor Martin. I didn't get the memo. I didn't. My wife said I could have worn my sweater this morning. So, well, I don't know if I can take credit for much of what he said, but I, I am very thankful that God did give me a lovely wife. She's over here this morning. And uh, the, the third child on the way, I think, is a bit obvious by now, so we can't really hide that. So that's an announcement. But I did want to show a few pictures just by way of introduction because uh, 10 years is a bit of a long time. And so I, I don't uh, expect you to remember everything that I said 10 years ago. So here's some pictures of our family. Uh, Eliza was born about five years ago. There she is as a little baby, and uh, she's grown up a little bit since then as well. And then Ezra was born about three years ago. So there's his baby picture. You know, baby pictures are always so cute, so I like to, to put those up. And then uh, obviously he's grown up a little bit since then too. And so the last family picture before... Uh, we expect the new one, and the new one is due in April. So we're very excited about what God has been doing as he's been growing our family and uh, seeing what he's doing uh, in Tajikistan as well. I know that there's been some changes in our family, and it looks like there's been some changes here too. I know that when 10 years ago, uh, I think you guys were just kind of brand new into this building. So it's exciting to see how God is growing your family here uh, Living Word. And I'm so glad for the partnership that we've had to work together to see God moving here in Ontario and around the world. Now, I know each one of you remembers exactly where Tajikistan is because, you know, that, that map was so clear. And uh, so I decided, I thought we'd do a little review where that is. And it's right there, that green speck in the middle of the screen, uh, right just west of China, just north of Afghanistan. That's kind of been a hot spot for the last several years. So that may be a, a bit more of a... Place, place mark to help you know where that's at. The next map is just kind of a zoom up of that. But, okay, that's where it's at. But what's Tajikistan? What is it like? It's a country that is over 95% mountains. This is on the western edge of the Himalaya range. So if you're talking about 8 million people living there, they live in the mountains. They're living in small villages, tucked in these valleys between mountain ranges, basically trying to make a living from spring through fall, getting in what they can to survive the next winter. And uh, it does get cold. They do get plenty of snow. But 
Beyond that, life is mostly subsistence, survival. It's the poorest of all the former Soviet Union republics. This was part of that Soviet Union bloc. And yet today it remains uh, in that uh, low, poor economic condition. The, the country itself, though, has quite a long history. It really dates back to the days of the Persian Empire. The language that we speak is the same language that Daniel would have heard in the courts of the Persian kings. This was a country that was along the Silk Road where, where silks and goods were brought between China and Europe. And so there, today there are still different items of history, still traditions that are carried on from those days uh, many centuries ago. And yet Islam has also come and, and brought in changes along the way. And so we just see the shift that's been happening with a, a tradition and a culture that's been there, and yet the influence, the growing influence of Islam. And we see the challenges of living in a country that uh, has faced seven years of civil war following the collapse of the Soviet Union and a government that basically likes to act kind of like a dictatorship, but they call it a, a democracy. And so there's challenges. You know, just going down the road can be a challenge. We drive down the road. We're very thankful for Speed the Light. So thank you for the youth that give. That gives us a vehicle to drive down the road. But that also means as we drive down, there's often, I don't, I, my mother was a police officer, so I hesitate calling them police officers, but there's traffic cops, and they like to stop us and ask us for our documents. It's their right. So they, they, we pull out this big stack of documents, and they like to check through and make sure there's signatures and stamps and everything's dated correctly. And if not, then perhaps they can challenge us and get some money. And if everything is in order, then they kind of usually lean in a little bit and kind of put out their hand and say, well, aren't you going to give me something for lunch today? Now, I don't know if, uh, you know, an Ontario police officer does that. You might want to get his badge number. But in Tajikistan, that's normal. That's just, hey, I'm just trying to make it through the day. This is life. I want to survive. I want to feed my family. And I say, well, it's my responsibility to make sure my kids have lunch money, not you. But there is a challenge just in everyday life. And you can imagine if that's what it's like driving down the street, then how much more challenging it can be to get a visa in a place where it's illegal for us to be missionaries. And there's a, a lot more signatures and stamps required to get those documents uh, through. And so it can be challenging to see that happen. I mentioned about you know, the, the high level of corruption, but then there, I also talked, uh, hinted at the influence of Islam, which is continuing to grow. Close to five years ago or even less, if you were to go to the market on a Friday, it would be much like any other day. Just going shopping, there's the, the vendors, the sellers. And yet today, if you were to go in on a Friday, there wouldn't be any sellers there. They've all closed up shop. They've all gone to the mosque uh, to pray. I say that loosely because they mostly are going not because they're seeking God in their hearts, but because they don't want to be the only one left in the, in the market selling products when everybody else is going. And so there's this cultural trend, not necessarily a religious trend, but a cultural trend to, to go, to be there, to pray, to hear what the imam is saying. But you remember, they're praying, they're bowing down on their faces, they're, they're acknowledging a God that they don't ever really hope that they will meet in a language that they don't even understand in hopes that maybe, perhaps by what they're doing, they can get to paradise, perhaps, if God is willing. And yet this is the influence that's coming in as, as women are kind of, there's less and less of the Western typical dress, and you see more of the Islamic influence coming in, covering their heads or their faces even. And so this is the reality as time has changed. As 10 years has gone by, we've seen these changes take place in this country, and there's been obstacles that... Uh, that we've faced, obviously, along the way, as well as the difficulties that the people themselves face day in and day out. And yet, in light of that, we know that God is doing something. And so this next picture, I know that you'll recognize um, what the white stuff is. 
You guys are pretty familiar with that around here. I know there's been a little bit. We were, went sledding behind the church yesterday. Um, but 15 feet of it can be a little bit much. That's what that is about either side. This is the main highway connecting the, the two cities of Tajikistan. I know you can tell exactly where the two semi-trucks pass. Just around the corner, right? The reason I want to put this picture up was not to remind us of the cold white stuff, but more so to really, I think it meant, to, it demonstrated to me what God has called us to do. That in a place like Tajikistan, which some of us, you know, we kind of heard of, but we don't really know where it's at. It's on the other side of the world, and yet it's difficult to get in, and yet God has opened up a way to get in. Much like this road through the middle of this snow, there's a way that God has made, and yet it's into a very dark place. It's a place that is spiritually dark, a place that, that needs to hear who he is, and yet it's still, many people still live in that darkness, and yet God has given us the ability, much like with our speed like vehicle, there's the front of it, to go, to go to this place as you have partnered with us to be able to go and to reach out into the people of Tajikistan. And as we go, we take that light, the light of Jesus Christ with us. But you'll notice the light only goes so far. We can't see what's in that darkness. We don't know what lies beyond. And yet as we continue to trust God, as we continue to move forward, we see his light continue to grow into those dark places. And that's what we've seen happen as we've been willing to trust him, as we've been willing to say, okay, God, you've got a plan for us to be here. And I mentioned we can't go as missionaries, so I've got, a, I've got a job. I'm working for a renewable energy company. That means I'm up on roofs installing solar hot water panels and going to different villages. But the very means that allows us to stay in the country is also the means that allows us to go and to reach out with the good news of Jesus Christ. It means that we go to villages that don't have electricity. And there's plenty of those in Tajikistan. It also means we're driving along some pretty rough and dirt roads along the way. Uh, you notice there's no public transportation on these roads, and, and if someone's trying to get back to their home village, they're either waiting for a ride or they're walking. Uh, actually, on this trip, one young man we met along the way was uh, just heading back to his hometown. He was probably would have spent the night on the road and then made it the next day, so he gladly accepted our invitation to, to jump in the car and ride with us. And on the way, he was a bit like you here this morning, uh, a bit of a captive audience for the next several hours as we bounced along that road. We shared our testimony. We witnessed to him about the good news of Jesus Christ. We told him about a God who knows his name, who loves him, who cares about him, and allowed us to be there that day so that he could hear about him. And before he got out of the vehicle, we, we gave him the, the Bible in the Tajik language so that he could take it home so he could read more about this God, more about this Jesus that we were talking about. And we prayed with him, and he got out, and he went up to his, towards his home. And as we continued down the road, I was just, again, reminded by the Holy Spirit of what God has called us to do in Tajikistan. Because that Bible that he got was the first one he had ever seen, likely the, the only one in his home, obviously, because he had never seen it before. But without exaggeration, that Bible is probably the only Bible in his entire village where he lives. But that's what God has called us to do, to take his word to those who have not heard it. And sometimes there's opportunities that come up in other ways, some through partnership with churches like yourself, where they get together. I don't know if you've heard of Operation Christmas Child. This is where churches, people get together, put gifts, items in shoeboxes, hygiene items, and those get sent literally around the world. Some of those end up in Tajikistan. We're able to take them into the schools during school hours, distribute them to the students. We aren't able to share the gospel at that time, but what we did do to all the students was to invite them to come to a home in that community. We also invited the teachers to come out that evening to a dinner, and we shared our testimony in the gospel at that time. And we weren't sure how many kids would come to this home in, in the neighborhood, but we thought, well, we better be ready. So we had some music ready, and we had guitars ready. We were ready to sing. Well, 
kids started coming. They started coming so much we had to break them up into groups so that they would fit on the little uh, patio that we had. We sang, we worshiped God, and we shared about who Jesus is, about his love and his care for them. And then to each family, not, there weren't enough for each kid because the kids can give you a bit much, but so each family could take a children's Bible picture book home with them so that they could read it, so they could look over the pictures, so they could share it with their brothers, their sisters, their moms, their dads, their grandparents, their aunts, their uncles. They all lived together often in, in large family, uh, together as a large family. And so that one Bible is not only reaching that child, but reaching a very large family. We're so excited that God is allowing his word to go forth. I don't want you to think that I'm just uh, traveling to all these different villages and doing different things, but God is also opening the door uh, for Tiffany to minister not only in our family, but right where we live in the capital city. Uh, she works with something called Caravan of Hope. It's a women's rescue center that specifically provides a safe house to women coming out of abusive situations or coming out of human trafficking. And they're able to come, live. They've got clothing, food, uh, lodging for their children as well. And then during the day, they're being provided with training, training so that they can live on their own. My wife is involved with teaching English and doing the cooking that she enjoys so much, enjoys sharing that with these ladies. But more than that, I know that they also do sewing classes. They're doing some, they do jewelry making. Some of you ladies availed yourselves of that jewelry yesterday. But more than all the things that they do, all the training that is done is really what happens off-site. What we can't do, what my wife isn't able to do in the classroom is what she does in our home as she invites these ladies to come to, to learn more about cooking, but really to share her testimony, to share about the hope that we have in Christ, the freedom that is found in Christ alone. And as these ladies begin to hear about who God is, about that their value is not dependent on what they can sell, but that their value is based on a God who created them and loves them and gave himself for them, that their lives no longer need to be concerned with something that they can give of themselves or do by themselves, but what God has already done for them. And it is truly amazing to see these women as they give their hearts to the Lord and begin to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit working in them and through them and the joy that they now have that they've never known before. And that's only what God can do through his power of his word and his work in their lives. So we're thankful as we've been able to, to partner in different ways. We also had the opportunity to work with one of our partner churches to get a youth group up and running. That was something that I wasn't expecting, but we had the opportunity to do. We started, we had a youth camp uh, one summer and challenged some of the few that were there, college students and, and younger, to say, hey, why don't you invite out your, your classmates, your roommates, your, your neighbors in, in where you live? And so over half of those who came to the, the youth camp, had, I mean, they had never, talk about never heard of church, They'd never heard of Christ. They were, this was all new to them, but they came and we were able to share with them straight out of the word of God about who God is, who Christ is, how he came, and what that promise was for each one of them to know him and to have a relationship with God himself. And then after that, we started having weekly meetings and one young lady who came, we kind of often started with an icebreaker. And so we were going around and saying, what did you do this summer? And so came to her turn and she said, well, I was able to visit my family. And then I uh, went to the youth camp. We said, yeah, I remember seeing you there. But she said, well, I'm so glad that I went because I got to hear about Jesus. And, you know, sometimes we stand up here and, and I, I see that look in your eyes. Sometimes we, you think, oh, these are missionaries and, and wow. But, you know, I, I'm just like you. Sometimes we get busy. And we do things, and there's a lot of logistics. And plan Julie's probably familiar with logistics. You know, it takes some work to, to make sure they're fed and that the guys aren't running over to the girls' room and playing pranks and, and that there's just 
things happening at the right time. And so sometimes I, I can get distracted and thinking, wow, this is what we need to do and this is what's happening. But it's nice to be reminded that the point of what we're doing is so that people can hear about Jesus Christ, that they can know him for themselves. And it's all worth it. Because there are times where we just feel discouraged. I admit it. There's times where we do spend a lot of time or energy or I spend hours on a dusty road and I go to a village and, and I share my heart. And there are those who, who, there's no response. And it can be trying when the car breaks down and there's a flat tire and there's no way to get it fixed. Or when all the lights on your dash all of a sudden turn on and you got to drive for the next three hours just hoping that the car keeps running. And I'm so glad that there's people praying when that happens. We were able to drive out of the mountains and keep going with all of those lights on. But sometimes it is challenging. We just say, God, we don't see things happening like we thought that we would. I mean, in 10 years, we, we would hope that there would be churches all over Tajikistan. Why not? That's what God said. He said that the, he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And yet there's those times where we just say, why aren't people responding like we thought we would? Why aren't doors opening where we thought they would? And... Really, I was just asking God those same questions one day, and he brought me to a verse that we find in chapter in John chapter 12, verse 24, where Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he's trying to explain something. He's trying to explain about why he came to the earth. He says, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Now, Pastor Barnett, I admit, if I was to have picked a verse to talk about on a mission Sunday, it probably would not have been that verse. It, it's not one that gets you kind of excited and say, wow, that's what I want to go and do, and this is missions, and this is what we're, we want to go around the world. And yet the reality that today is that that is precisely why Christ came, to seek and save the lost. This was what he was trying to explain to his disciples, was his purpose, was his plan on coming just like we celebrated not that long ago at Christmas, he came, God came to be with us. And yet the purpose of that was to give himself up, himself up for us. In a sense like that wheat to, to go into the ground and to seemingly to be dead, to be dead to the world. And yet out of that to bring forth life. Life that isn't always evident at first. It starts off small. And yet as it continues to grow, things begin to happen. And fruit is produced. We believe that that is exactly what God has called us to do in in Tajikistan, each one of us to do as part of the church. I'm pretty sure that you may have heard about the Great Commission before. And if you haven't, we find it in Matthew chapter 28 where Jesus is talking to his disciples. And he's, he's kind of passing on that purpose to them. And he tells them to go into all the world. To make disciples of every ethnic group, to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And he, and he doesn't just leave them there with this, this great overarching purpose and all these things to do, but he gives them a promise and he says, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And when we talk about this, we, we sound, we think, wow, look at all these things that God has called us to do. And, and the going part seems kind of exciting. We get to hear about exotic places like Greece or Tajikistan or, or sometimes just the inner city. But God has called us to go to these places. And, and that can, can really sound nice or, or Panama. I mean, I would like to go someplace warm in the middle of winter. Right? Sometimes we think that, oh, that sounds so good. And, and to, to baptize 
believe me, when there's a believer who comes and has turned aside from everything they know and is willing to commit themselves to Christ, there's nothing more amazing than to see that life. And they, they go down in the water and they come back and they have that joy of Christ in them of saying, I have committed my life to him and I have I'm a new life. But just simply dunking somebody in water is not enough. Or teaching. Teaching is, is a, I, I enjoy teaching. It's a lot of fun. I enjoy sharing the word of God. And yet, giving people knowledge does not change lives. If we look at that verse, we can do the, the going and, we, and the baptizing. We can get people wet and we can fill them with knowledge. But all those different things, if we fail to make disciples, we have failed in the Great Commission. All those other things balance on the point of making disciples. If we go and we fail to make disciples, there's no point in going. If we get people wet, but we have failed to make a disciple, there's no point in that baptism. If we have taught and given hours to instruction and yet failed to make disciples, then our words are worthless. We must make disciples. And the commission is in every ethnic group, across all the world, those who need to hear who Christ is. This young man comes from a village about four hours to the north of where we live in the capital city. He came uh, to the city to go to start university uh, with the capital. Living in the capital city means we have some of the only universities in the, in the country. And so they came. I met this man, and he was curious. We started talking about God, and he wanted to know more. And he started coming to the youth group. But there just wasn't enough time to answer his questions. And so I said, well, why don't you come after school, after work, and you come after school, and, and I want you to help me around the yard. I've got some yard work to do. So he started coming and helping. And we began talking about some of the stories that you're familiar with, like the, that lost coin or that lost sheep, maybe the prodigal son. Stories about how God loves us, how he formed us, and he wants us in relationship with him. And he began to listen. He began to ask more questions. We began to talk about who Christ was. And last summer, he was so excited to accept Christ as his Savior, as his Lord, as his Master, because he knew that he had given everything for him and that he could have new life in Christ alone. And he was so excited that he went back to his home village that summer, not knowing what they would say, not knowing how they would respond, if they would kick him out of their home or kick him out of the village. And yet he went back and he shared with his family about this new relationship he was in with Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. And although they did not accept the gospel at that time, they did not reject their son. And they even allowed us to come and to share in their, in their home about our, our testimony, about who this Jesus is. But, you know, after that, I didn't just say, okay, you know, it's been great knowing you. Thanks for working for me. Uh, go, go on to school. Carry on. No. Making a disciple means walking with somebody, allowing them to, to walk together to know who Christ is and what it means to live for him. And so he came back, and he continued to work together. We then opened up the word of God and said, this is what it means to live for him. I mean, what college student doesn't like a, a nice, warm, home-cooked meal after working all day? And so Tiffany would cook, and after we work, we'd come in and wash up and sit down and eat. And then after that, we'd open up the Word of God. And we'd begin to look and say, what did Christ say it means to follow him? What does a life with Christ look like for me, for you? And, you know, ultimately we come to that same verse that I've already talked about in John chapter 12. Verse 24, where we come to that point of looking at what it means to not only receive his love, to receive who he is, but to know that to live is Christ and to die is gain, as Paul said. That our lives 
are worth something in Christ alone. John 15, verse 16, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's challenging them and he's saying he's getting ready to leave them and kind of head off. And so these are some of his parting words. And yet he's reminding them, he says, I've chosen and appointed you to go and to bear fruit, fruit that will last. And you know, I've wondered about that verse before. And sometimes I think, well, what is that fruit that will last? Because Jesus is saying, this is why I've called you. This is why I've called you out. This is why I've made known to you the truth of life, the hope of eternal salvation is so that you could go and bear fruit that will last. And well, we go to the market, we buy fruit and you bring it home and within a couple of weeks, you know, it's starting to look kind of bad. It's got a white stuff on it or it's got some brown squishy parts and not exactly something you want to pick up and eat. So, I mean, that's not fruit that lasts. Well, I, admittedly, I know that uh, you can go into some of these home decorating stores and you can look and, you know, I've been in the, and on the shelf, sometimes they've got these really lovely looking fruit, you know, the really yellow bananas, polished red apples, amazingly green uh, uh pears and you just think wow those those would look really good and then you get up a little bit closer to them and wait a minute that's not real i mean if you were to bite into it i mean styrofoam doesn't taste that good so that's not the kind of fruit that i think jesus is talking about fruit that looks good on the outside that that is kind of shiny and polished and has the right look but on the inside has nothing to it nothing of substance nothing that someone could bite into and say yes this is good I'll let you draw your connections on what that might look like in, in the world around us. What I believe that Jesus is talking about, that fruit that will last, is, is what I see happening in the garden, in my garden back in Tajikistan. We've got grapevines, and they grow, and we don't, can't always collect all those grapes, and they fall on the car, and we kind of sweep them up, and we try to eat it what we can. And some of them we can't find, and they land in the garden. And we don't see them. They're kind of, all winter they're buried by snow and don't even know they're there. But next spring, the following spring, you know, all of a sudden, out of the ground is this little white, I mean, green little sprig. And you're like, well, what's that? And if we allow it to grow, it would become a vine. And that vine will go up the trees or up around the poles. And if we allowed it and continued to encourage it, it would grow and produce grapes of its own, of the same kind that it was. Fruit that will last. Fruit that is not only good for now but those seeds that will be planted in the lives of others so that from this generation to the next generation will be those who are alive, who are vibrant, who are actively serving and loving God and saying this is who it, and what it means to follow Christ. That's what Christ has called us and appointed us to produce. Producing that fruit. You know, we talk about discipleship and Really, when, when I think about it, I sat in church. I grew up in church, and, and discipleship to me, when I hear that word, it's kind of like I think back to what it meant. I, I, I went to a discipleship class, and it was great. I, I enjoyed it. We, we learned more about what, it, what the Word of God is and about how to, how to serve God in a culture that may not be serving Him. And, and I was challenged by that. And yet that, to me, kind of is what it meant to, to be discipled. But somehow... In the Word of God, we, we don't see that same analogy. We don't see that same process to becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ. A disciple simply means one who is following Christ, one who, who does what he does. When Jesus called his first disciples, he said, Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Walk with me and do what I do. That's what it means to be a disciple. 
He didn't necessarily say, come sit in this class and learn what I have to tell you. And then you'll be, you'll be I can kind of check that off the list and, and now you're a disciple. It meant every day walking, living, learning, growing, and doing what Christ does. In fact, there was quite a, a large crowd that was following him. And some of them were saying, well, yeah, this is, we, we like this. We enjoy being around we enjoy being around Jesus and the things that he does. It's kind of really neat. I mean, he heals people. He, he feeds people. I mean, who doesn't like a free meal, right? I mean, come next Saturday. You can come out. There's a great meal that's going to be ready. Sign up. Bring something delicious. Well, it sounds good. And yet here's this crowd. And they're saying, wow, this is so fun. We like being around Jesus. And, and in Luke chapter 14, verse 25, we see that there's this large crowd that's traveling with Jesus. Big crowd, big group, lots of people coming out. I mean, that sounds like a pretty happening place. And then all of a sudden we see that it says, they're traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Well, that's a little bit different than, hey, why don't you come and sit in this class once a week? He's saying, to be my disciple, you've got to hate everyone that you've known and grown up with. That's pretty strong words. I thought, I thought the word of God, I thought this gospel of the kingdom was about God's love for us and about love for each other, love one another. Well, is this in, in contradiction to that? No, I don't think so. But I do believe that I understand it a little bit better now than I did before. Working and living in a culture where Communities are based on everyone agreeing to the same thing, everyone going to the same mosque, hearing the same prayers, where everyone does the same thing because you don't want to be the one person left out. And so when there's someone who comes and says, well, I've met Jesus Christ. I want to know him. I want to live for him. It means that they're essentially rejecting what their community believes, what their parents have believed, what their brothers and sisters and perhaps even their wives or husbands have believed. And so what I see here is not is Jesus not saying that we must hate. I'm not to hate my wife or to hate my parents. What if God says clearly, I'm to honor or to obey my parents in the Lord. But for those who do not know him and for those who are not serving the Lord, there is a challenge that Christ gives of not of love and hate, but of priority. Because if we love something, we will put that as priority. If I love my wife, I will put her as priority in the choices that I make. If I love my children, I put that as them as priority in the choices I make. And so Jesus very straightforwardly is saying, what will you put as priority? Will you put your pleasing your parents or being a part of your community or saying, well, no, I've got to care for my children. My job is more important. Or, well, this is what's going on with with my wife, and, and I need to make sure that that's first and foremost. Those things are important. But are they more important than following God and being his disciple? Because he says here, not only the relationships, but he says, yes, even his own life. What are we willing to give our lives for? Because really that's the call to discipleship is saying what we find in the next verse. As if that wasn't enough, we see in verse 27, Jesus continues and says, Anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Wow. 
First, we find out he's saying, you got to put me first. You can't love anything else more important than me. That's pretty strong. More than your own life. And then he says, you have to be willing to carry your cross. We sang about the, this morning. The cross to me, growing up in the church, means so many wonderful things. It is the symbol of our faith. It's, it's the hope that we have. That though I was sinful, though I did things wrong and I was in opposition to God, although I could never know God myself, Christ made the way. He came and he paid the price on the cross. He took that punishment for me so that I was no longer to receive punishment. I was no longer the one condemned to die like those who carry crosses. And it's also the hope that we have that he's no longer on the cross. He was, he died, he paid the price and he was put in the grave. But on the third day, he rose again. He's alive. We have resurrection life that is available to us as we follow Jesus Christ. That's the symbol of the cross to me. And yet that is not what the cross meant to the audience that Jesus was talking to that day. I I don't want to put my culture back 2000 years and say, well, yeah, that, that's a wonderful thing. I'm going to carry my cross. To those that he was speaking to, he simply said, you must be willing to be a condemned criminal on your way to die. I'm not trying to be gruesome or or something else this morning. I'm just trying to say, what is Jesus saying? That's a little bit heavier. That doesn't float so well as we'd like. And yet, Jesus is saying, what is more important? What is life worth? Are you willing to be considered a criminal? like believers in Tajikistan. Because that's what they're considered. They're saying, you've rejected our customs, you've rejected our culture, you have no place in our community. And some of them are kicked out. They lose their homes. Some have lost their jobs. They've lost their families, their spouses. Because they say, it is more important that I follow Jesus Christ because he is worth more than my family, my brothers, my sisters, my parents, my children. He's worth more important than my life. And I am willing to be considered someone that's condemned criminal. And those who choose to follow Christ have challenged me because God's called me to walk with them, to teach them as I can. Am I willing? Is that what I'm willing to be? No matter what may be happening around me, no matter what the government may think, no matter what other people in the community may think of me, am I willing to put Christ first? I mentioned before, you know, it is, we can get distracted. We can get caught up. We work 40 hours a day and we're trying to do ministry when we can. Uh, sometimes on the, here or on this night or during the weekend, we do this, we go here, we go to this village. And, you know, sometimes it's hard to, to sleep when you're breathing in coal smoke all night. But what is it worth? What is the challenge that God has given to us? Is it worth his life living in us? I drive by... As I go to different places, sometimes there's, there's valleys that we drive by and I realize that there's people that are living up there in villages beyond the road who speak a language that I haven't even learned. Of who, that I know of, there's no Christians, there are no believers that can take that message to them. There's nobody that speaks Dahi that can go and, and minister to the people in that valley. Or Yachnobi. Or Wahi. And I drive by them and I say, God, when? When? But I realize I can't do it. It's not about us. 
is not about me accomplishing something. That's what I realized from that verse about the seed being willing to die. It's not about what I can come and say, this is what I've done, or this project has been accomplished, or this is what I can show you that, that I've done. But rather, I've been willing to say, Christ first. Let him be first and foremost in my life. Let me be used to be the seed. Because I believe, just like he said in his word, if I'm willing to give my life, that he will see others raised up. We will see disciples who will go back to their villages, who will speak the language of the community where they come from, who will be bold witnesses, who will not be afraid, in essence, to hate their father and their mother, but who boldly proclaim, this is the Christ who loves you. This is the God who came to save you. And he invites you today to be a part of his family, to be a part of the hope, to be a part of life, not life that we scratch out day by day, but divine, eternal life that he's given openly for each one of us. That is the good news of the gospel. And that is what we are praying and believing that God will do as we continue to be obedient to him you'll see disciples raised up and those valleys will not be dark valleys forever, but they will hear the good news of Jesus Christ as we trust him and as we are being willing to say, God, let us be the seed that you can grow and produce fruit in Tajikistan. Thank you so much, Pastor. It's great to be here with you. We appreciate your partnership. That was a great, 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 great word. Um, you know, I was thinking as Stephen was sharing, you know, the, on the day of Pentecost when, when the church was initiated by the power of the Holy Spirit, you had people from all over the world at that time coming to Jerusalem for Pentecost that, that heard that word from Peter and then from there uh, went to their areas. And, and some were from that very area of Central Asia that came, that went back to those areas to, to share the gospel. And I love the vision that Stephen has about, you know, just that the great picture of him sitting with that young man, sharing the wonderful message of Christ, that he's able to go back into his village and share that, that very message. And that, that's, that's how the gospel spreads. It spreads from one life being changed from another, you know, and, and I know many times we think about, well, you know, that's, halfway across the world, but yet, you know, we have neighbors right next door to us that don't know Christ, you know, 30, 40, 50 feet, hundred feet, 150 feet, you know, and the thing that is, is it's, it's, it's God calling us to see beyond ourselves, um, to realize that, that, that someone sacrificed for, for us so that we could hear the message of Jesus Christ so that our lives could be changed. And it is about discipleship. It is about a life that's being changed. It's, it's, it's about one person sharing with another that shares with another that shares with another of what Jesus has done. It's just sharing your testimony. All, all, you know, I'm, I'm sure Stephen and Tiffany would be the first to admit they're not some superstars. I think they're superstars, but they're not, they're just answered the call of God to share their lives, to share their testimonies, to sit with women who may have been involved in, in the human trafficking industry or sharing with students. It's just, it's just sharing your life. They, they're going there and they're working whatever jobs they can to get into the country. But then through that, um, God is using that. Every single one of us are missionaries. I mean, think about it. What it, your job is, is, is the leverage you have to share with somebody else. 
I mean, wherever you work, that's the leverage you have. That's, that's the commonality that you have with someone else to share with them what you believe. And, and all of us can do that. All of us can, can do that. And God has given us his Holy spirit as that power to be his witnesses. And all of us can do that. And so thank you, Steve. What a great, great word this morning. We need to, to hear that. And, and hopefully it encourages you um, to, to, to realize that you can do it, that you can share what Christ has done in your changed life. I mean, I share the story all the time. There was a guy in Eastman Kodak that shared the gospel message with my dad on break. And my dad came to know Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior at Eastman Kodak. Praise God for Eastman Kodak. Praise God for a guy who had the, uh, the, the boldness to share with my dad about Jesus Christ. Then he brought that home to our family. And my twin sister got saved. Then I got saved. My older sister got saved. They're all serving the Lord. It's like a domino effect. It's because someone was bold enough to share Jesus Christ right in their jobs right where they were living every single day. So that's my, that's my prayer for you. And um, what we want to do is we're, we're going we're gonna to take a special offering for, for the Grashes today to, to help them with starting churches, also to help with safe houses for these women. You saw the pictures, wonderful pictures of, of Tiffany ministering to these women in these safe houses from the human sex trafficking industry. And uh, that's what our offerings are going to go to today as we bless them. And we want to honor them and bless their ministry and continue to pray for them as they work in Central Asia. And God's doing some great things. And it's so neat to hear the stories. You know, when they come, when you come 10 years ago, you're like, this is what I want to do. And then you see what they're doing. And it's so exciting to see how God's blessing um, their ministry. So let's pray and, uh, and let's just give, let's give generously today. Let's just, let's, let's just bless, bless them today. Bless the Lord as we honor him and, uh, what God is doing in, in central Asia. So Lord, we just come before you. Lord, just thank you for that young man. That's being discipled. Thank you for those women that were around the table with Tiffany, God. Thank you for their lives, what you're doing, how you're changing them to a country that just is, is, is there's a, a spiritual famine in that country because of the gospel message. But yet there's these little spreading of your word from here to there that we know just like, when the church started 2000 years ago, how it can just spread like wildfire. And Lord, that's what we pray. We pray that it just from one person to another, to another, to another, that the gospel will go to those towns that, that Stephen has talked about, that they will be reached and you could just see it. in Stephen's heart, God, in their lives that they just want people to know you. So we thank you, God, for the calling that you've placed on our hearts and our lives for people, for people. You love people. You gave your life for souls that they would be changed. Lord, we don't want to sit on the, the wayside and just be numb to it all. We want you to grab our hearts because it's a matter of life and death. It's a matter of heaven and hell. These are, this is real life, God, and we don't want to be numb to these things. So, Lord, just break our hearts. 
And Lord, we just pray for this offering now as we just just honor you with it, that you would just go with the Groshes and their family. Keep them safe, God. Keep them protected, Lord, as they travel and as they just share your word. Continually, Lord, fill them with your Holy Spirit. Fill them with your boldness, God, as they continue to do the work you've called them to. Thank you for their lives and for the honor we have to partner with them and what God is doing in Central Asia. We're so, we're so grateful for that. So we just pray for this offering now. We just give it to you for your glory. We ultimately pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you make out a check, make it out to Living Word. We'll make sure this offering all goes to the to the to the garages and uh, just God bless you and your giving today. Amen.